everybody, this is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Teen Titan Wasteland. Hope you're enjoying your week. Trailblazers are doing terrific in the playoffs, so that's a nice time for me, because I like basketball. You know what else I like? These old Teen Titans stories. So, let's get started. Today's synopsis song is submitted by Ryan Johnson. When we Titans lose our way, Aqualad shows up and stops us. Let's see if he's in this issue. Here's the synopsis. Thanks, Ryan. Teen Titans number 36, December 1971. The Tomb Be Their Destiny. Written by Bob Haney, drotted by George Tuska, with inks by Nick Cardi. Teen Titan Roll Call. Robin, Lilith, Speedy, Wonder Girl, Kid Flash. Previously in Teen Titans. Who oh boy, here goes. Mr. Jupiter, the richest and therefore most trustworthy man in the world, is opening a science factory in Italy, so he packs up his Titans and heads off to Verona. Lilith gets overtaken by the spirit of, or is the reincarnation of, the 13th century Italian teenager that Juliet of Romeo and fame is based on, or something. Mr. J and the Titans run afoul of the volatile Don Otto della Logia, who happens to have a son named Romeo, who Lilith slash Juliet goes bonkers over. Seems that Romeo is the whatever of the historical Romeo. DDL also has a sinister nephew named Calabano, who is super ugly and seems like a real asshole. Kid Flash starts acting like a real dick, which is weird because that's really more Speedy's thing. Interpol suspects that the Delalogia family is up to some illegal shenanigans, so naturally they ask the group of foreign teenagers who just arrived in Europe to investigate. Lilith and Romeo sneak off to make out in a crypt. They notice two empty coffins and a corpse that looks like Romeo's cousin Calabano. Then they get back to smooching. Meanwhile, Kid Flash gets shivved by Calabano's goons and starts quoting Mercutio. The rest of the Titans go searching for Lilith and Romeo, but when they get to the secret makeout crypt, all they find are three empty coffins. Creepy. Will the stabbed speedster recover from his wounds? Will not knowing the country or the language hinder the Titans' investigation of the Delologias? And what happened to those crazy crypt canoodlers and that creepy corpse? Stay tuned to find out. Okay. Yes. Of course not. And it turns out that the Calabano-looking corpse was only mostly dead, and he knocked out the star-crossed lovers and dragged them out of the crypt. Yeah. More on that later. Speedy, Wonder Girl, Robin, and Mr. J examine the now apparently empty crypt where Lilith and Romeo were last spotted. Jupiter goes all Dana Scully and refuses to believe that there is any connection between Lilith and the ghost Juliet, insisting that there must be a reasonable explanation. But since his reasonable explanation theory begins with the phrase, listen, Lilith's an imaginative witch. I'm kind of with Team Mulder on this one. Just then, a shadowy hunchbacked figure triggers some kind of booby trap that causes a macabre landslide of skulls and debris to seal the Titans and their billionaire mentor inside the tomb. Our heroes begin the ghoulish task of tunneling their way through desiccated human remains to freedom. Meanwhile, at the Delalogia's palatial estate, Calabano is being all sycophantic to his uncle Donato and secretly plotting the, quote, accidental, end quote, death of his cousin Romeo, which would leave Calabano the sole heir to the Delalogia fortune. What a creep. Just goes to show, if you find yourself in a Shakespearean drama, don't trust any Calibans. Probably best to steer clear of Iago's too, just to be safe. Also, meanwhile, Lilith and Romeo are just waking up on the mist-enshrouded island that the not-as-dead-as-they-thought corpse dragged them to. The aforementioned non-corpse jumps out and introduces himself as, wait for it, Calabano. The original Calabano, who is over 700 years old. Okay. Then he professes his love for Lilith, who he calls Guilietta. Lilith decides to do what she does best, use her psychic powers to fill in some exposition. Turns out, 
that while Shakespeare based his play on historical Italian teenagers, he decided to leave a few parts out. Like the part where Juliet had a jealous, murderous, hunchbacked boyfriend named Calabano, who was the greatest swordsman in Italy. Yeah, I can see why a dramatist would want to leave that part out. Boring. Turns out that Calabano killed Romeo in a duel. And then, when Juliet committed suicide, Calabano decided to stay in the tomb with her. When the tomb was sealed, it apparently locked the homicidal hunchback in a state of suspended animation for some reason. Sure, why not? When the crypt was unsealed, Calabano just kind of woke up and is now resolved to once again murder Romeo in order to win Juliet slash Lilith's love. Because that worked out so well last time. The good news is, reincarnated Romeo is a pretty good fencer having competed on the Italian Olympic team. The bad news is, Calabano is remarkably spry for a 700-year-old. By this time, the Titans have tunneled their way out of the Skullvalanche and hired a gondolier to help them search for their missing chums. They stumble across a suspicious-looking canal-based funeral procession being led by modern-age Calabano. The Titans decide to split up, with Robin and Mr. J investigating the gondola funeral, and Speedy and Wonder Girl checking out the creepy mist-enshrouded island to continue the search for Lilith. Speedy arrives just as the OG Calabano is about to stab Romeo. He tries to shoot the sword out of Calabano's hand, but misses and shoots the saber-wielding Septicentarian in the chest. Whoops. He doesn't seem too broken up about it either. Meanwhile, Robin and Mr. J's investigation reveals that modern times Calabano is using the funeral as a cover for a needlessly complicated scheme using scuba divers to smuggle packages of industrial diamonds underwater. Why did they need to use a funeral as cover for this? Because... Just because, okay? Robin easily defeats the scubing scoundrels. You know, not as easily as Aqualad would have, but I guess he does a pretty good job. I guess. Jupiter confronts Calabano aboard the gondola hearse, but the malformed menace pulls a gun on him. Dang. The insidious Italian jerk is about to ice the benevolent billionaire when Donato della Logia shows up out of nowhere on some kind of stealth gondola and shoots his nephew in the back. What? Man, some days it does not pay to be a Calabano. Turns out, Donato isn't such a bad guy after all. He suspected Calabano was up to no good and had been following him for some time. When he saw his nephew about to murder Mr. J, he decided he had to act, and that for dishonoring the Delalogia name, Calabano had to die. Man, the Delalogia family reunion is going to be awkward this year. Anyway, killing his nephew somehow convinces Donato that Mr. J and his teen pals are A-OK, -okay, and now he totally approves of his son dating Lilith. Hooray! The mortally wounded 13th century Calabano swims back to the crypt he had been sleeping in for the last 700 years and finally dies as he does so, disintegrating into dust. Wait, what? Hooray? Hey, you know how being the reincarnation or whatever of the historical Juliet made Lilith an expert on the play Shakespeare based on her? Do you think that also made her an expert on West Side Story, which was based on the Shakespeare play? I hope so. Because Officer Krupke is a great song. Next story is an Aqualad backup story. Hooray! Sort of. The Girl of the Shadows. Written by Steve Skeets, drotted by Jim Aparo. Teen Titan Roll Call. Aqualad. Aqualad is hanging out in a small coastal town. He sees a mysterious gal, but when he looks away, she disappears. He goes down to the docks and runs into her again. Some chubby dude named Leland shows up with a ray gun and tells the mysterious gal to come with him. Aqualad isn't so into that, so he calls Leland Tubby and punches him a bunch with his sea strength and arms. Hooray. 
He asks a mysterious gal to tell him what's up, but she says nope and disappears again. Aqualad jumps back in the ocean and wonders what the fuck just happened. You and me both, Aqualad. Seriously, what the fuck? Superboy Meets Robin. Written by Bill Finger, drawn by Al Plastino. Reprinted from Adventure Comics number 253, October 1958. Teen Titan Roll Call. Robin. And featuring... Superboy. Superboy is approached by a sleazy jerk named Pete Groff. Groff owns the largest stadium in Smallville, and wants Superboy to appear at a big science fair he'll be hosting. Also, he keeps calling Superboy by his first name, Super, which is kind of great. Superboy agrees. One week later, the Boy of Steel is getting ready to head off to the science fair when Robin appears in a puff of smoke. He informs Superboy that he is from the future, and he is here to save the young Kryptonian from getting blown up. It seems that at some point, in the future, the Boy Wonder was on his way to visit his good pal Superman at a secret fortress. A bomb exploded, and Superman stumbled outside and explained to his young friend that a kryptonite time bomb had been hidden inside a clock that he had been given in his youth at a science fair. Robin rushed Superman to a hospital, but there was nothing the doctors could do. Aww. But here's where shit gets good. Robin decides to pay a visit to his pal Professor Nichols. It seems the good professor owns a time ray that Batman and Robin have used to travel to the past many times before. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute. Robin uses the good old time ray to travel back to before the science fair to save his super pal from the killer chronometer. Seems like he could have just gone back a week to do that, but... To be fair, there's a lot I don't understand about time travel. Superboy explains that he hasn't been given the clock yet, but Robin is welcome to hang around and try to help him thwart the Kryptonian's would-be assassin. The two teen crime fighters head to the science fair, where a trio of scientists predict that someday there will be jet planes, atom bombs, and space shuttles. Robin just kind of nods and goes, Yup, good job predicting, scientists. That evening, some crooks use some kind of high-tech gadget to try to rob a bank. Superboy and Robin foil the would-be robbers, but Superboy notices Robin furtively sneak a piece of broken equipment that has fingerprints on it into a lead-lined pouch on his utility belt. Hmm, that seems suspicious. The next day, the boys foil another high-tech bank robbery attempt, this one employing a flying battering ram. Once again, Superboy sees his young purported pal secreting a piece of evidence into his X-ray vision-proof utility belt. This time, Superboy confronts the time-traveling teen and accuses him of being in cahoots with the scientific scoundrels who are robbing Smallville. Robin protests that he's innocent and that the evidence he stole was going to be a birthday present for Superman when Robin returned to the future. Aw, that is both kinda sweet and the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Not surprisingly, Superboy is unconvinced. But Robin proves that he is from the future by telling Superboy about the feats he will one day perform when he is Superman. Superboy is immediately convinced that Robin must be from the future. There's no other way he could possibly know the things that Superboy is going to one day do. <sighs> so you remember a minute ago when I said that Robin's birthday present idea was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard? Well, we have a new winner. The next day, there is another high-tech robbery. This time, a robot octopus is being used to rob a jewelry store. The Super Buddies manage to nab the perpetrator this time, a young Lex Luthor who figures that if he uses some science gadgets in his robberies, the suspicion would be diverted to the visiting scientists. That's a pretty good plan. And he would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those meddling kids and their superpowers. The meddling kids in question return to the stadium to catch the end of the science fair. A giant pink robot shows up and gives Superboy a present. A suspicious looking clock. Supes tosses the clock into space and goes after the fleeing robot. 
Turns out shitty old Pete Groff, the stadium owner, was inside. He wanted to blow up his stadium and claim the insurance money and kill Superboy to keep him from investigating. Or something. Seems like it must suck at time bombs though, because that thing doesn't go off for like 15 or 20 years. What a chump. Groff's old friend Super throws him in jail. A few minutes later, Robin's time ray wears off and returns the boy wonder to his rightful place in the time stream. Hooray. Then there's a letter column, which I just wanted to touch on briefly. There's one point in it where I guess they had received a couple of letters saying that the issue where Gnark the caveman is educated and brought up to speed in our current times. Apparently some people wrote in and said that that issue was silly. Can you imagine such a thing? What's interesting to me is that Bob Haney defends himself by saying that there's a movie that just came out that's being very well reviewed. Francois Truffaut's Wild Child, which has pretty much the same plot. So if you think my story's silly, then you must think Francois Truffaut's masterpiece, The Wild Child, is also silly. I fucking love the chutzpah on Bob Haney, but no, Bob Haney. Your story was very silly. There's a scene where Robin points at a chalkboard that says, Hello, my name is John Gnark. I work at Jupiter Labs. I've seen The Wild Child. There's not a scene like that in that. And you can't just do that. I love you, Haney, but you are no true foe. Finally, we get to the Lilith backup story. The Teenager from Nowhere. Written by Bob Haney. Drotted by Nick Cardi. Teen Titan Roll Call. Lilith. You know who's mysterious? Lilith. That's who. Where did she come from? How do her powers work? When did they first manifest? Why did everyone think she was Asian in her first appearance? This story will endeavor to answer nearly one of those questions. Our tale begins in a small Kentucky mountain town. A search party is being formed, and a 12-year-old girl named Lilith Clay asks her mother what they are doing. Lilith's mother tells her that they are going to dredge the river to search for a boy who has gone missing. Lilith gets a wild look in her eye and tells everyone she knows where the boy is and can take them to him. She leads a party of grizzled mountain men to an abandoned well out in the forest, and sure enough, that's where the missing boy is. The group turns on Lilith almost immediately, assuming that if she knew his whereabouts, she must have been the one to put him in there. Seems like they could just ask the kid if he got thrown down that well, but the group of Good Samaritans are of the opinion that a better way to find out that information is to shake and slap the 12-year-old girl until she admits that she did it. Huh. Kentucky Mountain Men aren't coming out of this story looking particularly good. Fortunately, Lilith's dad shows up before the shaking and slapping plan can be enacted and gives Lilith the chance to explain that she could just sense that he was there with her mind. Well, that should clear everything up. She also can sense that he got stuck down the well by trying to rescue his dog that had stumbled in there. Fortunately, the dog is still down there, which seems to confirm Lilith's story. The mountain men rescue the dog, apologize, and are on their way. Later that night, Lilith and her family are enjoying some cake. Lilith's mom says, So, looks like you got mysterious powers. And Lilith is like, yep, and now they're telling me that I'm adopted. Lilith's parents admit that she is correct. They were going to tell her next week on her 13th birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, you're adopted. Also, we ate all your cake last week. Lilith runs off into the night until her uncanny and incredibly vague powers lead her to the orphanage she was left at as an infant. She recognizes the woman who runs the facility, the kindly Miss Harden, despite having last seen her when she was one year old. Miss Harden informs her that her mother had powers, mysterious powers, and got into some mysterious trouble that may have involved Lilith's father, who was probably mysterious. Well, that clears everything up. 
Satisfied with the non-answer she has received from Miss Harden, Lilith returns to her adopted family, the Clays, presumably to eagerly await the worst birthday party ever. Hooray! And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. So, what'd you think? Wow. We have our work cut out for us. There's a lot. These 52-page giant size issues are gonna kill us. Is that the thing from now on? Mm, Not from now on, but we've got definitely some more. I thought 32 pages was the convention for some reason. I had that number No, it was, I think it was 22 was um, it? And oh. for most. And then they decided to double it up. Yeah, 32 seems like a good amount of pages. That's just what I remembered. Corey, there are many different numbers. How <laughs> <laughs> about these numbers, Hope? Well, you know about four, right? Oh, yeah. Well, what about his bad boyfriend, Seven? Wait, Four has a boyfriend? No, no, he's a bad... Oh, not... No, no, no. He's a bad boy and he's a friend. Oh, got it. He's... Like... I mean, granted, Seven would also be a bad boyfriend. Because Seven Eight Nine. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even going to go there. I was <laughs> going more abstract, but touche. Okay. Touche, Corey. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's a good start. Jeez, what were Clearly, we are on point. Well, why don't we start with the first story, the main Titan story. What'd you think of that one? Well, I am glad that Bob Haney was able to unravel the mystery and mistakes of Mr. William Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. That guy left a lot of loose ends. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness Haney could get to the bottom of it and really clear up that goddamn hacks mess. It's funny, the the way that the two-part Haney stories work, it's like Haney didn't write the first half. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the characters act very differently, especially Mr. Delalogia in this one. There was a series, I think it was DC Challenge, in which the first half of the story would be written by someone and then a different writer would come up and have to resolve it. Mm -hmm. That's what the Haney stories feel like. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, this yesterday man really wrote me into a corner. What's tomorrow Haney going to do about this one? And then tomorrow Haney comes in and is like, oh shit, how do I clean this mess up? And... Some of it does, but there are a lot of loose ends that just kind of don't get resolved. There are, and what's funny about these is because there's usually I have a week between reading the first and the second part of these cliffhangers. Uh When I get to the end, I'm like, oh, good, I'm glad that's resolved. And then I'm like, wait a minute, it's not totally resolved. No, there's a bunch of weird stuff. Like, where did the corpses of Romeo and Juliet go? Why, Why are those slabs empty? Are they out zombieing around? Well, I was hoping that was just one of those times where I, like, missed something that was, like, I skipped a page, (laughs) and I was like, oh, Hubble will explain this later. Yeah, no, I cannot explain. There's a few things I cannot explain. Like, okay, here's another one. Mm. Uh, Calabano. Hey, Uh, that's a pretty good. Mamma mia. Calabano. Okay, (laughs) so current Calabano Mm. is... At least Mr. Delologia believes him to be a reincarnation of the original Calabano. Mm -hmm. And they look alike and they think alike and stuff. Mm -hmm. But if the first Calabano never died, Mm -hmm. he was just in suspended animation. Mm -hmm. Because that's what happens when you close a tomb on somebody and there's no air. I think they have to be... For 700 years. Well, you have to be in love. Oh... That's the secret ingredient. Mm-hmm. It sustained him all those centuries. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, it's like a unrequited stalkery kind of love. Mm-hmm. Murderous so, stalker. So, and maybe you're going here, but the other inconsistency between old and new Calabano 
is Old Calabano's super into Julieta, a.k.a. Right. Lilith. New Calabano doesn't really give a shit. No, he doesn't give a shit about her at all. But also, if the first one isn't dead, then how can the new one be a reincarnation of him? Like, where does... That's a good question. Is that... Yeah. Because, like, literally reincarnation yeah. is, like, the first thing can't be there anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's taking some liberties. Right. Or maybe Mr. Delalogia just... It's he's like a, a lost in translation <laughs> thing. So that's maybe just his theory. Mr. Jupiter probably has a different theory. Mr. Jupiter is going full-on fucking Dana Scully in this issue mm. and trying to, like, no, there's a logical scientific explanation for why this is happening. I did think it was funny that his logical scientific explanation for why this is happening, the first sentence of it is, well, you know how Lilith is a witch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got a couple good, like, really classic sexist uh, Yeah. Oh, I wasn't even saying from a sexist perspective. I, I mean, like, just from a mysticism perspective. It's like, no, there's a scientific explanation for this. It's Lilith's witchcraft. Mm. That's not scientific. Not so much. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, no, he, he also does come across as like, look, women are going to be crazy and they're going to pass out because they're in Italy mm -hmm. and they're going to think that they're reincarnations of Juliet. Yeah. Cause that's ha what every woman wants. happens to all women. That's mm -hmm. what every woman wants mm -hmm. is to be a star crossed lover who commits suicide. Yep. Yeah. M Mr. J has some real gems in this one. I do like he actually gets involved in the action and goes scuba diving with Robin and mm -hmm. like this is the first time we have seen him take action and not just act as a mm -hmm. shadowy almost get shot pulling of the strings guy yeah except for Mister Delalogia decides to shoot his nephew instead and is pretty cavalier about the whole thing about you know killing his nephew yeah oh I, I would not kill my nephew well, even if he was being a jerk well. And this is not a good parallel for your relationship with your nephew, but his nephew was planning to kill him. We don't know that Jacob's not planning to kill me. I think we haven't. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's not. <laughs> yeah, ever. I don't believe that he is either. Jacob, if you're listening, you should not be listening to this. You are eight years old, and I swear a lot on this. Totally inappropriate. Go to bed. <laughs> What else was it? There is so much going on in this issue. Mr. Delalogia does a full about face and is like, goes from being a real asshole to being like a super chill dude. And now he loves Julieta or Guilietta. That's how it was pronounced, right? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Let's see who has a better Italian accent. All right. Mama mia, I'm trying to eat my spaghetti over here. Uh, scusi. Oh, damn it. I think... Okay. Guilietta. <laughs> Definitely yeah. about face. It almost seemed, as you said earlier, like it was written by two different people. Yeah. that That's that's the Haney magic. Mm. I is working on a multi-part story without an outline. Mm. I don't know that that is the case. It really feels like it's just like, wonder what I'm going to write next. Mm -hmm. How am I going to get out of this one? And it's fun. I, I will say, like, I, there are definitely some issues with the story. But I really did like it. One of the other changes from the first half of the story to the second is in the first half, Calabano is portrayed as kind of like a hulking brute. And in the second one, he's a criminal mastermind. The, I'm sorry, current Calabano. Because original Calabano wasn't in the first storyline. Well. That we knew of. He showed up as a corpse. Just at the very end, yeah. 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 That was creepy. Yeah. No, and he's all gimpy and, and weird, kind of like the Prospero's books, Caliban. 
Yeah. So, okay, at the end of the story, he gets shot again. Why do you think he turned to dust? That's on... It's on the cover. It happens in the comic book as well. I don't remember that. Because 700 years is a long time to be sustained on nothing but love. Oh, and so he doesn't love her anymore? Well, he's shot, right? Didn't Speedy kill him? Speedy shot him. Which which they didn't explain why. No, he said, I was trying to knock the sword out of his hand. Oh, shit. Yeah, I guess I must must be losing my touch. Yeah. Dude, you shot a parachute onto a monkey. Yeah. You don't just accidentally shoot a guy and that it happens. He is, as you said, very cavalier about it. Does this happen often with Speedy? It makes you wonder. This This is around when Speedy, I think, in the Green Arrow, Green Lantern comics is... Having a heroin addiction. I wonder mm-hmm. if maybe Denny O'Neill was like, "Hey Bob, uh, I know you're writing some speedy storylines. You want to just maybe throw in a couple of hints that he might be on the junk." He's like, "Okay." Just accidentally shooting. He's cool people. with killing dudes, and he's bad at archery now. I mean, not bad, but not as good as he used to be. Shot him right in the heart. Yeah, and when he shot that uh, parachute onto that monkey, he was like. 12, 13, something mm-hmm. like that. Ostensibly, he would be even better. Yeah, you would think. Drugs are bad. There's a scene on page 11, too, that I want to touch on real quickly, where the gondoliers that are escorting the teens around mm. on their, like, mission, mm. I guess, they're dropping the kids off at the island that the tomb is on, because I guess the tomb's on an island now. And the gondolier, as he drops them off, doesn't say anything, but thinks, young fools, evil spirits lurk here. They will never leave alive. Yeah. Dude. Way to give somebody a tip. Maybe give them a heads up. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's not when they're on the tomb. That's when they're going to the place that Calabano took Lilith and Romeo. And that's, it's not like on the way there too, Mr. Jupiter's like, I know you don't want to do this, but I'll give you a lot of money. Isn't I don't remember that. It's like you'll be rewarded handsomely or something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so it's not like completely... Like the gondolier is withholding the information that he thinks it's... No, he, he does say, Pull on, old man, you'll be well paid. What a dick. Yeah, he does <laughs> say they went to the haunted island. I actually missed that. There's a lot going on in this issue. There is. Yeah, the gondoliers, because they're at a funeral procession that is a gondolier funeral, or a gondola-themed funeral, funeral. For some guy. That's for somebody that we don't know, mm-hmm. but... Calabano, too, mm-hmm. is using that as cover to smuggle diamonds using frogmen. Needlessly complicated scheme. Yes, in a, one in a long tradition. Yes. Waterproof boxes. Yes, yes. waterproof boxes so carried downriver by frogmen. It doesn't seem like they were doing it when they would be dumping the body in the river, either. It's just like out of the bottom of the gondola, they dropped all of these Was that how those packages. Work? They just dumped the body in the river? I have no fucking idea. That seems incredibly unsanitary. Yeah. that would. Those are like their streets, like their highways there. Like, that would be if, like, the funeral was... Well, that's you drive out onto, like... Did they move from Venice, to, from uh, Rome to... Weren't they in they Rome? Weren't in, no, they were in Verona. They were... At least uh, shaped like a boot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's as far as I got. Oh, okay. Um, Florence is where they have the water, right? Venice. Venice. Yeah. Not Florence. Not Florence. It's... Uh, they call it Firenze. Is that so? Yeah, I know that because my sister uh, spent some time in Italy when she was <laughs> in college, and she 
sometimes adopts what a friend of mine called a Trebequois accent, which is where you overly enunciate foreign words like Alex Trebek does. Trebequois, that's a good name for Isn't it. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a phenomena I'm sure you're familiar with. Anyway, yeah, so they're having a funeral. But it seems like you could just take a gondola out and drop some frogman shit out at the bottom of it at any time. You wouldn't need to use a funeral for cover. Or, why don't, why do you have to go into the middle of the river? Why can't you just have frogmen go out from wherever you're launching the boat from? Mm-hmm. Or, or just drive. Yeah, put the diamonds in a truck. Yeah. Okay, now you're on to something. Mm-hmm. In a box. And put okay. A, put a tarp over the box. Okay, I like this. Drive it to the warehouse and drop the shit off. Or you put the diamonds inside like a big jar of peanut butter. <laughs> and then the diamond-sniffing dogs won't be able to tell. No, dogs love peanut butter, man. They're gonna... You gotta put it yeah, in... Yeah, but now. no, when the cops open it up, they'll be like, Oh, the dogs are just looking at peanut butter. They're not... They're, there are no diamonds in this peanut butter. Or uh, coffee grounds. And then if you get caught, then you're just like, it's crunchy peanut butter. And then everybody has a good laugh. See, we are smuggling masterminds. Here's to uh, being smuggling masterminds. Agreed. So, is there anything else you want to touch on in the main story here? So... Oh, okay. No, I had a theory. So at the end, Calabano 2 disintegrates. Mm-hmm. And your theory was that his getting shot had to help evaporate his love. And so he dehydrates. Yeah. My theory is, you know how Speedy has all those trick arrows? Uh-huh. I think he has, like, a dehydrator arrow. <laughs> and he shot Calabano with it, and then Calabano turns into dust. It's got, like, one of those things from the bottle of allergy pills, just, like, taped to the end of the arrow. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, my only kind of unsolved <laughs> thing from this is... So, presumably, it's just going to go back to some other storyline after this. Okay, like, we're done. We've left Verona. But what about Lilith and um, and Romeo? They're still totally into each other at the end, if we are to believe Mr. Delalogia. Here's the thing. I guess stories can just end with people being in love, and we'll just assume that they broke up. Like, you know, happened with good old fucking Ganark. Yeah. And as it was uh, kind of foreshadowed with um, with Mal and Lilith, too. Man, she's just leaving I... a trail of broken hearts. Well, she's a witch. That's what they do. Which is going to do. Mm-hmm. Which is going to do. There there was one other part I wanted to, to call out in this. Lilith, when Calabano first starts referring hey. to Lilith as Guilietta, <laughs> she says to Romeo, he called me by my Italian name and you by yours. Romeo's fucking Italian. His name is Romeo. That's his only name. I noticed that as well. Pretty good. Nice going, Lilith. <laughs> mine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on to the Aqualad story. All of it? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to do the entirety of that story. Okay. Aqualad goes to a dance. Okay. Sees a pretty lady. Yep. Then he turns his head for a minute and she's gone. Then he goes, he's hanging around the docks because it's what he likes. And he sees the lady. Mm-hmm. And she says, I need your help. Some dude jumps out and says, I'll get you. He body shames the dude and punches him in the tummy. Uh Lady disappears. Aqualad goes for a swim. Um, that's, that's the high points. Yeah. That's not just the high points. That's the whole fucking story. What did I leave out? Well. It's two pages and nothing happens and nothing gets resolved. Yeah, my notes on that were, um. Oh, I'm sorry. She's mysterious. Yeah, I wrote what the fuck is going on. That was almost the entirety of my notes <laughs> for that story. However, 
he doesn't just hang out on the docks and happen to see her. He is compelled to come to the spot where she is. Oh, he wasn't and, sure if he was compelled. And they, well, that's the thing. And then they have this dialogue where he's like, wait, what? Did you make me think I wanted to be here? And she's like, it's way more complicated than that. I used logic. It's, it's scientific. Don't have time. And then the fat dude shows up and, and Aqualad punches <laughs> He wasn't him. that fat either. He was, he was pretty he tubby. He kind of tubby. Aqualad calls him tubby and punches him in the tummy. Yeah. And, uh, and, and using his sea strength and limbs. It's the art is pretty good in that one. Uh, we didn't really touch on the art in the first one. It's, it's decent. It's, mm-hmm. it's George Tusco with the Cardi inks. It's pretty standard. It's what we've seen in the last two. This one, um, the artist by Jim Apero, who I'm a big fan of, it seemed like a rush job. Mm-hmm. And the story definitely, this I, I don't know if you can hear the air quotes I'm using when I say story, also seemed really rushed and just, it was like, wait, what's, not even what's going on, because what's going on is relatively straightforward. It's just, why did you show us this? It Nothing happened. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And yeah, it does it does feel rushed in that to the the woman that is supposed to be this like mysterious attractive woman is mysterious but it looks like a like a botox lips like not yeah, well it's drawn. She it's not even not well drawn. It's, it's it's a very stylized thing. She looks like the way that later era Jack Kirby drew women. Here's actually this this is the entirety of of my notes. Okay. I wrote, "What's up with the Joan Rivers looking girl? Who is Leland? What the fuck is going on?" Oh, yeah, the tubby guy was named Leland. Leland, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, that's, I, that summarizes that's, it for me. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Uh, pretty good art. Like I said, I'm a big Jim Aparo fan. There are panels in it that were really beautiful. Overall, felt like a rush job. Yeah, and the lady also had, like, weird pointy bits of her, like, collar that were, like, pointy. Her entire outfit was pointy. Yeah, there's just, like, weird, like, antenna-looking things coming off of her dress. Dish gloves with giant spikes coming off where her elbows should be. And then, like, yeah, her collar, too, was, like, Mm -hmm. had spiky bits that went up behind her head. Yeah. All in all, weird. Yeah. Didn't make sense. Let's come back to the Superboy Robin story. Let's skip on to the Lilith story. Okay. What'd you think of that one? It's nice to have some backstory. Yeah, and... there's not a ton of backstory, but god damn, it's been a while since we've seen Cardi art with Cardi inks, and it's gorgeous. Yep. Yeah, it's super well rendered, and man, no wonder if she has uh, trust issues or, or whatever, because like <laughs> she saves a kid, and right. then the townspeople are like... Let's um let's beat her up. Yeah, she uses her powers to find out where this missing kid is. And a dog. Save yeah, the kid. and everybody and all the townspeople are like, why'd you throw him in that hole? Yeah, beat her up. Yeah. Oh, tell her. To- yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, one of them, one of them says like, shake her and slap her. Mm-hmm. Then she'll tell you. Yeah. Just basic logic. And then her dad shows up and was like, no, maybe don't shake her and slap her. What happened? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, I just could tell it. Also, there's a dog down there. And they're like, oh, there's a dog down there? You're cool. Yeah, never mind. We were wrong. Sorry. You're good. We just scared you real bad. <laughs> and they bring Lilith home, and this is my favorite part. She's like, yeah, I can just tell things now. Like, I knew where that kid was, and I know I'm adopted now. Mm-hmm. And her adopted parents are saying, we were going to tell you that next week on your 13th birthday. Sweet fucking birthday. Yeah, welcome to being a teenager. You're adopted. Happy birthday, <laughs> you're adopted. <laughs> Not going to win the gold medal. What did you get me? Some issues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hope you like them because you're going to have them a while. 
Yeah. So she, yeah, she runs away and tries to uh, find her real parents. She goes to the orphanage. That she remembers from when she was one. Well, she's a witch. Yeah. And Juliet. And the lady tells her, oh, I can explain everything. It's mysterious. Your mother had these powers too. And she was mysterious. And she said that she was having some mysteries and that your dad was involved. Terrible things happened. I can't tell you about it. Yep. And Bye. she's like, and Lilith is like, good to know. Thanks. Now I've got some closure. Yeah. I'm going to go home. And she goes home with her adopted parents. Mm-hmm. The end. It's a pretty cool story, honestly. Yeah, not a, not, it's not like a ton happened. There's also, the weird, the weird thing to me was when they tell her that they're, they were going to tell her that she was adopted in a week. Mm-hmm. They're all sitting down and eating cake, like at midnight. Are they the Golden Girls? <laughs> like, they just always got a cake around? I just attributed that to, like, well, the kid just had this traumatic experience where she thought she was going to get... <laughs> so let's bake her a four-layer cake. Yeah. Take her <laughs> That home. takes Take so her long! <laughs> Maybe their mom's a bake... runs a bakery. <laughs> oh, you're probably right. I'm... There was a lot of subtext that would indicate that her mom ran a bakery. You're right. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, maybe. I think maybe in old times people just ate cake all the time. They probably just had them around. Yeah, just like in case. It's like, oh. I feel like, uh, like it's, it's not that old times. I feel like this story takes place in like olden times. I think just because a kid fell down a well and like... Everybody talk kind of old timey, but I guess it's just Appalachia. Yeah, it did have a kind of a kind uh, that kind of feel. It had to a it. kind of a little house on the prairie feel to it. The mm-hmm. whole story, which back then you had to have a lot of cakes because most of your kids were probably going to die in some way or other. Mm. And so when your kid dies, you got to cheer yourself up, bake a cake. Not no, you don't want to bake the cake. You just have the cake around so uh-huh. that if somebody dies, you can be like, all right, I'm gonna have some cake. <laughs> this will dull the pain. Yeah. So then we get to the Superboy Robin story. And this is a reprint of a story from, I think, 1958. Mm. Written by Bill Finger and drawn by Al Plastino, who was one of the... He he was a Superboy artist for a long time, and he actually was the first person to draw. He co-created the Legion of Superheroes and a bunch of other shit. Really prolific artist. And they have a crazy-ass story for us. I feel like, this, like I said, this is from the late 50s. I feel like seeing these stories gives us some background onto Bob Haney's writing style. Because this read kind of like it could have been a Haney story. Mm-hmm. And it is some grade A Silver Age malarkey. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> where to begin? What was your favorite part of the story? Oh, man. There are so many gems in this. But what I like is when Robin, the boy wonder, first materializes. And he's like, poof. Hey, I'm Robin. I'm from the future. And he grabs a baseball bat. And he's like, I need to break that clock. <laughs> and Superboy's like, what? What? No. And he grabs the bat from him. <laughs> I just made that clock. It's like, oh, okay. Well, clocks are bad. <laughs> yeah, no. I it, that, that is some classic Robin. Um, I like this Robin a lot better than I like uh, he's great. current Robin. Yeah, something happened to him in those years. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but man, did he turn into a dick. Because this kid is sweet this, and good-natured. And... Just, oh, speaking of good-natured, so there's this whole thing where they end up in their adventures blowing up a bunch of robots. And Robin keeps, uh, is like, I'm going to go check for fingerprint. And Superman looks like, and sees Robin taking little pieces of the robot and putting them in his back 
uh, pouch mm-hmm. of his utility belt. Mm-hmm. And Superman's like, those have fingerprints on them. That's evident. Who's he trying to protect? Mm-hmm. Because the utility belt is lead-lined, so he can't see them. Mm-hmm. And he lets Robin do this like three times. Mm-hmm. Before he's like, okay, what's up? I don't trust you. You're not really from the future. You're in cahoots. Mm -hmm. And Robin's like, no, 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 dude. These are for your birthday present. It's a surprise birthday present for you in the future. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know they had fingerprints on them. I just thought, you know what Superman would love? Some little pieces (laughs) of metal. Some souvenirs (laughs) from our past adventure. Okay, but here's what makes a souvenir thoughtful. If you save it and you you keep it with you for many years and then you're like, hey, I saved this because I really value our time together. Mm-hmm. For Robin, it's like, hey, I picked this up yesterday. <laughs> yeah, but he knows for Superman it won't be like that. Well, for Superman, he'll be like, oh, yeah. It, it doesn't... Well, he's still Robin, okay? So <laughs> that's the, that's the Robin, okay. I guess. He's okay. like, remember that one time I saved your life because I'm great? <laughs> he didn't save his life, though. They did do a fastball that, special, which I enjoyed. It, oh, no, he did save his life from the kryptonite. Yes. Yeah. That okay. was the whole purpose of the okay. time travel. Yeah. But it, he does mention that him and Batman time travel all the time. Yeah, sitting in that little chair with the light over it. Yeah, they, they get shot with a time travel ray, mm-hmm. and they have done it many times. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the time travel ray is more or less accurate than the time travel treadmill. Mm, I would guess less, because there's no treadmill involved. Mm. But I bet it is more accurate than the time crystals from the alternate timeline <laughs> the time that, acid that jupiterius <laughs> yeah when jupiterius made them drop some time acid take a time trip yeah but <laughs> <laughs> these crystals dissolve in your mouth <laughs> yeah yeah so that was that was great on robin's part but my favorite thing that happened is the way that robin convinces superman that he is in fact from the future oh yeah which yeah. is by telling superman I'm sorry, telling Superboy all the things that Superboy is going to do in the future. And Superboy is utterly convinced. Just because that face value. No one else could know this. There's no way you could know what I'm going to do unless you are from the future. Yeah. It's like, that's right. I am going to do those things. Not the brightest. Convinced. Yeah. That farm boy is a fucking moron. Yeah. He's a sweet guy. Nice guy. He helps his mom dust. Yeah, holds up uh, furniture so she can sweep under it. Yeah, and Robin says, I'm going to have to tell Bruce about this when we dust around the house. I was like, so wait, are you going to... They're going to call Superman. (laughs) Every time you need some cleaning. (laughs) Can you come lift a couch up for us, Superman? Besides which, him and Bruce fucking hire somebody. They are... Bruce Wayne is a billionaire. He does not do his own dusting. Nope. At the very least, he has Alfred do it. I believe that Alfred probably has a team of people who do I'm sure he's got a whole staff. Yeah. Although we we may actually see a little bit of the origin of Robin's dickishness in this issue. Yeah. And it's when the kids, Robin and Superboy, are helping stock delivery boxes for the general store. Yeah. And Superman is, boop, 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 you know, using his super speed to stalk him. And Robin's like, hey, knock it off. Like, you're going to give me an inferiority complex. <laughs> and he's joking, but I don't he's, know if he's, he's kidding. But he's kidding on the square. I don't know yeah. if he's joking, although. 
all the way. There's something behind that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody slow down to my pace so that I feel good. Yeah. But yeah, it is a crazy story. And then at the end, it turns out that Pete Groff was behind the whole thing. And they, they foil Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. But just like as an aside, like it happens in like one panel. There, there's also this thing where it's like, okay, so there are these three different scientists. We know it's one of them. It isn't. Mm-hmm. One is old. paralyzed. Yep. One is blind. And one is old. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're all old. Yeah. It's a crazy adventure. It is a crazy adventure. And it definitely did have that, like you said, that, that, that malarkey feel to it from the <sighs> era in which it... It was, was really fun. I really liked it. Yeah, one of the things they, that that Robin tells Superman he'll do later is sew up the side of a blimp with a steel girder. Carry <laughs> an uh, iceberg over a drought-stricken farmland. Right, so that it'll melt and yep. everybody can have some crops. Yep. God, you're right. That does sound like the sort of thing I'd do. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I wonder if this created an alternate timeline. How does he get back? Uh, I think it's like the time crystals where it just like... He's got like an amount of time and then the ray wears off. I don't know the specifics of the time device. It seems like the sort of thing that happened a lot. He says that it happened many times and they named the the doctor who made the ray. Man, even though there's awesome shit or stupid shit that I've done that I could undo by going back in time, I'm never doing that. Dude, let's make a deal. No time travel. No, settled. We're shaking hands. Yeah. It's a deal. Yeah. No time travel for us. I would recommend that you people at home take that pledge as well. Mm-hmm. You're going to fuck up all our shit if you do. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. President Biff. No thanks. Yeah. Molly Hatchet, 1970s. Oh. Don't want it. Uh, I kind of want some Molly Hatchet, 1970s. This, well, you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, you're right. So, let's talk about favorite panels. All right, yeah, I think I do have one for each. I, I don't have everything that we normally do for each story. No, I just have the slang for, for one of them. Yeah, me too. Okay, so what was your favorite slang? It actually wasn't slang, but it was it was Mr. Jupiter. Just, it, we touched on it earlier, and it's on page four of the main story, where he's, he's explaining why Lilith is doing her thing, and he okay. says, Like any female, she wants to be the star of a great tragic love story. Ladies, is that what you want? Because I think Mr. Jupiter doesn't know what all ladies want. But he's so rich. Ah. Uh, well, what Corey, do I he's know? the richest man in the world. And Apparently, yeah. I was mistaken in thinking that not all women wanted the same thing. And that even if they did want all the same thing, it probably wouldn't be to die terribly at a young age. Yeah. But he has a lot more money than me. Yep. So, so we start our diamond out. smuggling. Mm. Yeah. And then um, the other little bit of dialogue, which isn't really even dialogue, it's more just a, an, an exclamation. It's an exclamation, and it's and it's from Speedy when he sits on the the crypt that is still warm. <laughs> and, oh, that would be so creepy. It's like it's what I imagine it is like the feeling of like when you sit down uh, in a public bathroom and the toilet seat still warm, oh. and, and you're kind of like, oh, that's gross, but, oh. but whatever, like it's expected. But having that happen completely out of context, that actually took some adjusting for me because we have a fancy bidet <laughs> toilet seat, and it does have it is there's a seat warmer, mm. and it and the first couple times I was like, oh, that's unsettling. Yeah. Like even though it's either me or my wife that was using it, it's still just like. <laughs> Oh, what? What's going on? It shouldn't be that. Yeah. Body temperature. Gotten used to it. It's very nice. Yeah. It's got a remote control. That's pretty sweet. Uh, Let's hear the noise. Yee! 
<laughs> that crypt, you make that crypt sound like a fun ride. It's, that's the way it's, it's like why with a bunch of eyes after it and an exclamation point. Yeah. Okay, so my favorite was it's when Robin is swimming and he's going after the frogmen and he says, This caper has to be illegal, so I guess it's okay to make like the law. Like, dude, you're a vigilante. All you do is make like the law. But I also like that that was really Haney really restrained himself in terms of the slang in this mm-hmm. uh, in this issue. Yeah. So there wasn't as much to choose from. Is that all you had for slang? Yep. There were some good sound effects in this one too. There was a lot of good sound effects. Uh, there there was a zwalk mm-hmm. for getting shot with an arrow. That was a nice one. Yeah, that that was when uh, Calabano got shot. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was actually a really dynamic scene. It's like you could see him crumpling backwards as the arrow pierced his heart. And mm-hmm. him. Yeah, it was it's very was graphic. Pretty good. So, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to start with the panels? Let's do panels. Okay, let's start with the main story. Main story, uh, page four. There's I had a couple, but... Oh, um, I had one on page four, too. I wonder if it's the same one. Mine I called Exploding Crypt. I called it Skullvalanche. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, that is my favorite. That is... Damn. It's terrifying. Terrifying and also completely nonsensical. And really cool looking. Yeah. No, like the ceiling collapses or Calabano. I'm not sure what his timing was on this. I don't know if he had, if he was in the process of carrying Lilith and Romeo's unconscious bodies away from the crypt at this point. Mm. Or if he came back for some reason and decided to cover his tracks more after dropping them off someplace else. The timing is hard to work out, Mm -hmm. but basically as he is fleeing, like me and my friend Ellen used to practice. If somebody ever said to us, we need to talk, (laughs) we would practice physically running away. Yeah. So we would run drills. Like one of us would come up to the other and say, we need to talk. And so if she said that, I would have to physically run away Mm -hmm. and try to knock some things over to leave a trail of debris in my wake so that it would be more difficult to follow me. Yep. It's important to run these drills. No good will ever come of somebody saying we need to talk. No, it, it has never happened. And it never will. Because I will run away There's physically. Knocking And I will knock and... over some chairs and try to bar a door or something. But Calabano is doing the essentially the same thing in that scenario. Except for what he knocks over is a fucking avalanche of skulls. That I guess there was like a pile of them. I don't know why there are so, Like I know that he's in a crib. But wouldn't they be inside? Did he just like... It's build like a, some kind of like a Rube Goldberg device of yeah, like like a skulls. party popper. Party yeah, full of there, skulls. Yeah, there's an explosion of skulls that bro- blocks the way for the Teen Titans and seals them inside this crypt. Mm-hmm. Where apparently, if they were in there for 700 years, they'd still be fine. Yeah, well, good to know. I don't know. They gotta have feelings. It is also this is the construction site that unearthed this crypt. That they're apparently still going to go ahead with the construction is Mr. Jupiter's construction site for his Verona labs. Mm. It's going to be some fucked up labs, man. It's mm. going to be all poltergeist and shit. Yeah. Not cool. Probably not. No. Did you have... You said you had a backup for the main issue? I have two. Okay. Um, uh, one of which we've already talked about. It's page 11. I called it Calibano Arrowed. Yeah. And it's, it's him getting shot. Yeah, Zwak. Yeah. Very dynamic. And, and also like speedy. Damn, dude. Just killed that dude. Cold yeah. Cold. Really doesn't seem concerned. Not at all. Except for that his aim is off. 
Yeah, he's like, oh, I just meant to hit his sword. And then the other is uh, page seven, and I call it Lilith bugging out. And it's the, the one where she uses her mind powers to penetrate <laughs> Calibano's. Oh, mind. yeah, no, it's nice. And the way that they show her doing that is really like bugging her eyes out and looking crazy. <laughs> we also find out that OG Calabano was the greatest swordsman in all of Italy. Yeah. And nowadays Romeo was on the Italian Olympic fencing team. Mm-hmm. Both just asides that get dropped in. Yeah. And turns out, old G. Calabano better. Which makes sense. There was probably more sword fighting, and I don't know how analogous, like, competitive fencing is to actual sword fighting, you know? Yeah. I feel like if you have experience dueling with foils to the death, Mm -hmm. it's going to give you an advantage. Agreed. Okay. How about you? Backups? No? There's one where it's it's with Robin swimming and it's when he kind of like tackles a frogman after he manages to catch up with the frogman, yeah. even though the frogman has flippers. The physics of that make no sense though it, because he's No, like, he says he'll have to try hard. So he does. Um, but it looks, he's like body checking the guy. <laughs> and it may he... Underwater. Yeah, well, just, he was... work, man. Well, he says, I've really got to go into high gear. Yeah, good job, buddy. So but... he goes into high gear. High gear. <laughs> Corey. You're high defending. gear. This is your least favorite character. <laughs> what are you doing? I know. I Come know. On. And this is where they should have fucking Aqualad. Right? Like, you're you're in a city of canals. Why don't you have Aqualad? Yeah. And they got Robin basically doing Aqualad. He's Aqualadding, and it doesn't make a ton of sense. No. It's a good scene. Though. But yeah, no. There's a scene where he is tackling a frogman from behind, and it makes a expelling all his lithe power. The boy wonder closes the gap. And just, yeah. Just... Hits him right in the small of the back, and it goes whoomp. And uh, it's a really nice scene of him tackling the frogman. Afterwards, does he say, I'm sorry, I thought it would be funny. Okay, one time, (laughs) when we had had a not insignificant amount to drink, and we were both much younger. It was a long time ago. We were in Las Vegas, and as I said, we had had a lot to drink, and I, as we were walking down a hallway, I punched Corey in the back really hard. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, and this is a quote, why? <laughs> and my response was, I am so sorry. I thought it would be funny. And then you agreed that it was funny. I did laugh. It was it was funny. I felt very bad about that. What was funny was your face. You I looked, felt so bad. You looked terrified like you had injured me. Because I also did fall down. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of crumpled in a fetal position when I said, Why? Well, and I think you would be able to identify with this because you did hit a guy over the head with a frying pan when you were like 10 years old because you thought it would be funny. Yeah, I mean, he probably had it coming. Though. Oh, he definitely had it coming. I know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> but he, not at that particular juncture. You guys were playing hide and seek. No, he was fleeing me. Oh. And he had hidden himself in the outhouse, which I patiently waited outside. <laughs> and when he emerged, I whacked him on the head. <laughs> And you thought you killed him. I was terrified. <laughs> oh, never hit anybody with a frying pan. Oh, and don't punch funny. people in the small of the back, even yep. though it is funny. It's not worth it. Yeah, just the risk is too great. That's the PSA for today. All right. So, <laughs> yes. Favorite panel from Aqualad. Page two, Tubby Punch. I had the same one. <laughs> he punches the tubby guy and he says... You heard her, Tubby. 
She doesn't want anything to do with you. And Tubby says, what? Yep, that's that's it. That's it for that one. Yep, agreed. Lilith's story. I didn't write that down. Mine is the one where there... Well, there's a couple. That Really, the opening panel is... It's Lilith's head, and then there's a bigger swirling background Lilith's head behind it. That one's really nice. That is trippy. Really, yeah, trippy and really evocative and, like, does what it's supposed to do. But my favorite is where they are explained that they are sitting around a table eating cake, and it's the one that I call Happy Birthday, You're Adopted. Yeah. Yeah, they're just sitting around and she looks surprised, but like, okay with it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a nice. Yeah, 12 year old Lilith in almost every scene in, in that story is drawn with a look of great surprise on yeah. her face. Like, yeah. Well, if she's just coming to terms with her psychic powers, it makes sense. Yeah. I would be surprised. Yeah. Like, constantly. God, I hope I never have psychic powers. That would be the worst. It would No, the worst would be anybody else having psychic powers. Oh, we discussed this previously. Yeah, but both would be terrible. Yep, I don't want them. Nope. Uh, okay, no time travel, no psychic powers. Done. Done. Next. Superboy Robin. Microscope head bop. Microscope head bop. Explain. So Superboy, who is weakened of his powers by a chunk of kryptonite held by the last evil robot in the evil robot series who right. turns out to be powered by, um, just Pete Goff hiding inside a robot yeah. suit. Who, by the way, that chunk of kryptonite really looks like a giant nugget of weed that he's holding out. Well, and I am of the opinion that it's okay. So the kryptonite is coming out of the, or the, the radiation is coming out of the kryptonite that the robot is. I'm sorry. Exp, explain your microscope head bop. Oh yeah. Right. So, uh, Superman's been weakened by the, the weed kryptonite. And it's like, oh, what do I do? And Robin's knocked out and the robot's going to come over there and like stomp on him or something bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he grabs a little microscope, uh, micro microscope out of yeah. Robin's utility band and uses it to reflect the sun into the eyes of Groff, who then is so startled by the reflection, he steps backwards and whacks his head on a light post and falls down. And it's Yeah, just, that's pretty good. And there's all stars around his head. Yeah, the whole thing was goofy and fun. Okay, my favorite is the one before that, where the, the big pink robot that Groff is hiding inside of, he is holding the kryptonite, and yes, it does look like a nugget of weed. The radiation is affecting Superman and making, or Superboy, and making him weak. It's a close-up of the robot, and the robot is, you can't really tell which direction it's, it looks like the robot is farting into Superman's face, Superboy's face, and that's making him weak. Or beams are coming out of the robot's crotch it looks, that are weakening Superboy. Yeah, it looks kind of like a front fart. From a lady. <laughs> it's, or it's, it's, <laughs> or a robot. I don't know the gender of Fair the enough. robot. <laughs> Should I explain that one? I don't know. Yeah, if you have questions about what I'm discussing, it's a gross story. (laughs) It's not that gross. It's not. It's a good way to explain a word that's hard to explain to somebody in in a classy classy way. It wasn't that classy. It's the best way you can say it. A friend of ours asked what the word queef meant, and I explained with some trepidation... That it is a front fart from a lady. Yeah, it's the best way to say it. Yeah, thank Probably. you. Probably. Thank you. So anyway, this robot's queefing on Superman. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my favorite pick. That, that, I think we're th- through the issue. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add? 
I I am curious about uh, Lilith's real parents and if that's going to come back later. That's just sort of an aside. Yeah, I guess no, it, it, that story and that's what that story is supposed to do. It's supposed to set the seeds for that being kind of Lilith's quest. Kind of the same way they did with Wonder Girl, mm-hmm. where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, she, but her parents aren't really dead, or are they? Mm-hmm. But that was like 15 issues ago, and we have not revisited it. Nope. Curious. Yeah. Mm. A lot of loose ends. Indeed. So, what do you think Canark's up to? Oh, I forgot that was the thing. Let's see. When we remind me what he was up to, he was sad about being left behind. And sad right. So he went to high school he... and was hanging out with Polly Shore and Encino Man happened. Right. Okay. I think he's just in hiding after after that. You're half right. He's hiding out in law school. Is Brent Brendan Fraser? No, 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 no. He um he used to be a caveman, but now. He's a lawyer. Unfrozen caveman lawyer. What? You don't know Unfrozen caveman lawyer? No, what's that? It's the best sketch from Saturday Night Live. One of them. It's Phil Hartman plays a an unfrozen caveman lawyer. And it's just oh, him. He, he keeps having summations to the jury that start with, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm just a caveman. Mm-hmm. Some scientists thawed me out. And then later I went to law school. I'm scared of your modern society. I don't know much, but I do know this. Mm. Uh, and then we'll say, like, the legal summation. It's terrific. I miss Phil Hartman. He was great. One of he the was. Well, it was supposed to be a funny little bit that I did when I was sad. Mm. Firebad! It is. You're right, Corey. It's, uh, that's my favorite Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah, when he was uh, Frankenstein? Yeah. That's your favorite Phil Hartman? It just from. it just struck a chord with with the young Corey. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think what it was was he caused everybody else in that scene to break. Yeah. So if you would like to contact us, <laughs> oh, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail If you want to leave us an iTunes review, hell, that'd be great. Uh, you can look us up on Facebook. Uh, ttwasteland.tumblr.com is uh, the Tumblr page. And if you would like to donate, we uh, we put out an extra episode this last week and I'll be putting out one next week too uh, because we have received some really nice donations from a lot of people and I really appreciate it. And we have some great suggestions for other things we can do as rewards. I got a great uh, email from Osvaldo and he had a number of suggestions. He also did mention that it was his belief that Aqualad was not killing Jim Morrison but was, in fact, uh, aiding with the birth of Osvaldo himself uh, at that time uh, in the New York City Aquarium, which would make sense, although I would remind you that Aqualad can swim very quickly, and what better way is there to atone for causing the death of another, even a douche lord like Jim Morrison, than by ushering new, non-terrible life into the world like Osvaldo. So I think he did both. Anyway... Osvaldo had some really good ideas for rewards. I'm going to see if I can uh, work some of them out for you guys. And please let me know what you would like me to do for you in exchange for the money that you will give me. All for me. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to give me some money, you can do so at uh, www.patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. I am Hub, and this has been a Tuna episode. Tuna. And they know it.
if you would like to contact <laughs> us and have me explain to you what a queef is. <laughs> so if you would like to contact <laughs> us. They already know. <laughs> so, if you would like... <laughs> 